Welcome to the Perioperative Nutrition Podcast, sharing knowledge with clinicians to ensure all patients are ready for surgery. This six-episode series is sponsored by Abbott Nutrition. Hi, I'm Monty Mython. I'm a professor of anesthesia and critical care from University College London. I'm an adjunct professor at Duke University Medical Center and I'm also editor-in-chief of Top Med Talk. So I'm delighted to be here at the Duke Clinical Research Institute, the DCRI, with Paul Wishmeyer. I've been invited in to be a guest host for a special series that he's been recorded on nutrition in surgery. Paul, how are you this morning? Wonderful, wonderful. Thanks for joining us, Monty, and thanks for guest hosting our, our podcast today. Well, you know, thank, I didn't expect the call, but thank you very much. You know, I come here on a regular basis, and I know a lot about the work that you do. But I understand that the reason you've asked me to come along today and not only to explore a little bit more about your expertise, but also talk to you, which we'll come back to in a moment, as Paul the patient, which not everyone may know about. So an expert on nutrition, both from giving out advice, but also hopefully doing the right thing for yourself. So first of all, Paul, remind us about your role here. Sure. Again, this is Paul Wishmeyer, and I'm a professor of anesthesiology and surgery here at Duke and work as an intensive care doctor, perioperative physician, and nutrition physician running the nutrition service for Duke University Hospital and the TPN service in that role, and then also serve as the director of perioperative research for the Duke Clinical Research Institute. Which is where we're sitting. Which is where we're sitting now. Amazing institute. Um, Now, you very generously shared with us on previous podcasts elsewhere that you're also, at times, Paul the patient. Yeah. Just briefly tell us about that again, Paul. Sure. This is where my passion for why an anesthesiologist would choose to become, first, a perioperative physician, I suppose, but second, a nutrition, in particular, perioperative and ICU physician. And so this, for me, began at age 15 when I was diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease with ulcerative colitis. And... um, told rather abruptly as a student that I was going to spend the next month in the hospital and not eat anything and get all of my nutrition through an IV they were going to put into my neck um, via parenteral nutrition. We call it our intravenous nutrition. And so that was the beginning of my experience. And ultimately, um, about three months later, my colon perforated, um, broke open, and and I got a severe septic uh, peritonitis-like abdominal picture and ended up having uh, my first operation where my colon was removed and then since then I've had about 21 other subsequent major abdominal surgical operations over the last mm, 30 some years Um, some as recent as just uh, a few years ago two three years ago I had three additional large operations and so this has been a routine part of my life and every day for me I realize that tomorrow could be a day of obstruction occurs or some other urgent surgical abdominal surgical matter will occur and so every day I see is preoperative nutritional preparation and optimization for me and so it's become a big part of my life an everyday part of my life so it doesn't necessarily come over in a podcast but but you are in fantastic shape I know you're highly highly motivated to keep yourself well nourished but also exercise is a, a key component of what you do yeah I, I really think that the that the, the the truest uh, optimal way to prepare for surgery is the combination of nutrition and exercise as well as all the other course medical things we need to do for patients. But I think when you're focusing on sort of the metabolic readiness of a patient, the combination of nutrition and exercise is essential. And, you know, we have a lot of data that there actually is an obesity paradox. And so that the idea that maybe the ideal BMI to have surgery, to have COPD, to have heart disease, to have cancer is actually around 30 to 31. 
Now, with the assumption that we believe that 30 to 31 probably comes with additional lean body mass, and so clearly a BMI of 30 to 31 that is largely fat mass versus one that's largely muscle mass, which is what I try to shoot for and attain in my preparation for surgery, um, we think that is where we want to build reserve. And the best way, of course, to build muscle reserve is through exercise and nutrition. And then clearly there's a cardiovascular conditioning role that affects the vagus nerve and signaling to inflammation that also is essential in cardiovascular training. So, so if you don't mind, just a little bit about how you prep. Let's imagine you know you're going to have surgery in, I mean, what's a meaningful time period? Four weeks, six weeks, two weeks, one week? Yeah, I think we're finding that at Duke, we have about a four-week lead time say on the average major GI surgery. It could be as long as six, could be as short as two to three, but the average is four weeks. Um, most of my surgeries, and the reason this is an everyday part of my life, actually are, are, are more, they're more emergent. They're related to bowel obstructions that happen acutely, so I don't know if tomorrow will be the day or next week will be the day. And so that's why every day is I take the same 15 supplements and the, do the same exercise routine. But I think for the patient who's now been told like if I had been told, let's say tomorrow, that I'm going to have a major abdominal surgery in four weeks, I would have a very structured approach to that that is a part of my everyday life now. So, so um, and, and is there any particular secret sauce that you throw in that's readily available? Or is it about good, you know, well-balanced food off the plate? Yeah, that's a great question, Monty. I think people, patients ask us, other physicians ask us all the time, can, can patients not just eat their way with a good, healthy diet, which I think is essential, clearly intake of a high protein diet, which is part of our pokey recommendations, getting in more than 1.2 grams per kilo or, you know, uh, what, what does as that much look, what does two that grams look, per pound, perhaps even. What sorry, does that gram look per like pound, in, sorry. In, in steak or chicken terms? What does that look sure. like? Sure. So a typical chicken breast may have seven to 10 grams of protein. Um, an egg has seven grams. So I'm... Give somebody sense. A glass of milk, eight grams. Okay. Let's imagine I'm 100 kilos, I yep. wish. And, and so there, how much chicken do I have to eat, roughly? So we're talking about for a minimum of 120 grams a day. Yeah. So if you were talking about eggs, yeah. we're talking about 15 to 20 eggs a day. Not everyone remember the film Cool Hand Luke, but I can't remember how many he got to. But anyway, you can look back there for another time. So that's <laughs> yeah. a big challenge. So yeah, su challenge. supplementation, which yeah. allows to pack the protein in, yep. you think is a key part of it, or is believed to be a key part of it. We do, and, and, and we know that all protein is not created equal. Clearly, if you're asking me what food gives you the best protein to prepare you for surgery and to build lean body mass, muscle mass, and strength for an operation, I would tell you eggs are the best biological okay. efficiency protein of the natural foods. And then meats, chickens, fish. I, I think fish is, is one of the best because of the fatty acid content yeah. being healthy in many of the fishes. Um, but meat in general is going to have a better amino acid profile to build muscle, say, than vegetable-based proteins. And so there clearly is a hierarchy of protein in foods, and then there's also a hierarchy of protein in supplements. We know whey protein is by far the most efficient protein, which is the kind of protein contained in many of the nutrition supplements that are out there, and if you're a patient looking for one, that's the one you want. Or a whey casein mixture. Casein is a milk protein that has a slower absorption. Whey protein has a very fast absorption, but very efficient absorption. Whey being W-H-E-Y protein, is that right? Yeah, curds yeah. and whey. So it is, it's yeah. a derivative of making cheese.
And gotcha. Where so, it comes from. So, look, Paul, if you're advising me, let's, yeah. let's imagine I was going to have surgery in four to six weeks' time. Yep. I think I'm reasonably well-nourished. Uh, yep. I'm uh, carrying a few extra pounds I shouldn't be, but I get physical activity every week. I'm going to the gym every week. What, what, what can I do to change my stars? So this is where we really believe that adding some additional protein supplementation and maybe even some specific nutrients themselves can make a difference in your outcome. And this is part of what I take every day. Uh, as a patient um, or preparing for to be a patient. And that would include uh, a high protein oral nutrition supplement, which are these little drinks. They cost a dollar, two, three dollars um, that contain typically 18 to 20 grams in one small serving of high quality protein, typically whey and or whey casein. And often other nutrients that have been shown in large randomized trials to benefit hospitalized patients in their recovery. Things like HMB, hydroxymethylbutyrate, which is a derivative of leucine. It's found in catfish and watermelon. You'd have to eat a lot of watermelon to get enough <laughs> where you can just drink one of these small drinks and you can get in enough. But HMB has been shown in AIDS patients and cancer patients and athletes to increase lean body mass building without fat gain. And so it stimulates some of the pathways for the physicians out there, the mTOR pathways um, that stimulate muscle growth. And so I take that every day. I take three grams of HMB every day. And if I appear to be, by your assessment, screened out as being reasonably healthy and reasonably mm -hmm. well-nourished, that's advice you're giving me and I go to the pharmacy and buy those for myself? Or are you giving them to me as Duke trying to make my surgery better? We have some processes through Duke that will give them to you, but some processes where we're going to suggest you go to the pharmacy or go through Amazon or go through another vendor uh, to get them. You can get them at drugstores. The, the products that contain HMB are available, say, at your local Walgreens, your local Rite Aid, uh, local drugstores here in the U.S. or around the world. Uh, but they're also available on Amazon and other mail order websites uh, often quite reasonably. But we actually, the best place to get them cost-wise is within the hospital pharmacies because we okay. cut a deal. Without overjudging it, I'm paying a similar sort of price to a fast food meal of some form. It's not, it's not going to break my budget in the right. four to six Probably months. less. Probably less. Okay, that's yes. great. So let's, uh, that's very, very helpful. Now let's imagine my a frail elderly relative or yep. friend yep. who hopefully is lucky enough to come through a system like yours and get screened out we, yep. can, we can see they're malnourished, you know, that yep. we've been struggling to get them to take extra food over time, and we can Entire. see that they're wasting with time and age, no matter how much we care for mm -hmm. them. What are you going to do to change their styles? So I think, again, the I inclusion of at least twice a day, sometimes three, of these high-protein neural nutrition supplements um, is essential, which can be challenging. Um, some people don't like the way they taste. They come in lots of flavors, luckily. They're better cold, I will tell you. Uh, but, but I think it's something that we really need to, as caregivers, family or physicians or other providers, need to say this is medicine. Just like the pre-op antibiotics you might take or your pre-op blood pressure medicine you might take or your diabetes medicine, this nutrient supplement is medicine that needs to be taken every day because we need to be sure that compliance is good with this. And often if people see it as just a nutrition or food option, it becomes optional to take. So, so when you give it to them do they receive it and it, it looks like a vitamin supplement you could buy in a supermarket or does it look like a medicine unfortunately they still look like supplements you could buy in the supermarket okay, they still look like the small protein drinks you can buy on the nutrition counters of the supermarkets and of the drugstores and so i think that's why it's such important piece that we emphasize as providers that people take this in because again it's easy not to and I, I, I tell my patients you should take them and I do this myself you should take this before you eat your meal 
Yeah. Because if you eat a meal, you, you may be full and not likely to take it or take it between meals and before you go to bed. Before you go to bed is the most important time to take in protein and amino acids, branched-chain amino acids, if you can bring those in as well, because we know that can stimulate lean body mass muscle gain as much as 20% in the elderly. Study from Netherlands has shown this 17 to 20% muscle gain when someone takes 15 or grams or more of protein before they go to bed, especially if they're branched-chain amino acids. So for us, the, the loved ones trying to help yep. our, the person through that, yep. it, we're saying to them, mum, dad, whatever it is, auntie, uncle, these are, these are medicines. These are medicines. These, these are essential you. to your recovery. They're going to reduce your infection. They're going to improve your ability to walk after surgery. They're going to shorten your length of stay in the hospital. They're going, to, they're going to get you ready for surgery, make you safe for surgery. And then I think the other piece I would suggest, whether it was you or an elderly parent, grandparent, or family member, is, is things like vitamin D. We know that in the U.S., 70% of the population in general, sick or well, is vitamin D deficient. Yeah, my levels are a bit borderline. I got, Both they started are. doing that from my GP, started doing it. I thought, whoa, where did that come from? I yeah. need to play more golf. We, we, we evolved as humans to be out in the sun, and of course yeah. we typically work jobs where we're not out in the sun, and we wear sunscreen. Sunscreen mm. inhibits vitamin D production, and so you can't get enough from food. You can't get enough from just taking a multivitamin. You will never get enough from drinking milk. Um, you realistically, if you're low, need to take 50,000 units for a week or two or three weeks before surgery. Uh, and then 2,000 of D3 a day, every day thereafter, probably for the rest of your life. Because again, we as humans are not built to not be in the sun, and, and that is just part of our life now. And all of this overlaps with the whole iron anemia thing, which is another whole discussion yes. for another day, but that's getting sorted out as well. Now, it is. It? That's one of our other clinics is clearly another piece of, of, the, of the perioperative preparation pie. Great. Well, Paul, thank you very much indeed for sharing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go away now and worry a bit more about my vitamin D levels. Uh, I feel good that I might be the perfect BMI. I'm going to go and look it up in a second. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to play yep. more golf and uh, yeah, yeah. maybe take a few supplements if I need surgery. If I, if I've been asking people this uh, recently, if I, if I gave you a billboard, you can just have one. You can't have three. Yeah. Uh, what would you put on it related to nutrition? That's one to mug you with all of a sudden. Sure. I, I would say taking more protein. Get your vitamin D corrected. Walk a bit more. Yeah, walk a bit more. And I think the other piece I would say, because I'm a believer, is that the week before surgery, these arginine-containing immunonutrition supplements have a lot of data. Um, reduce infection as much as 40%. So anybody, malnourished or not, taking both pre-op carb loading the night before surgery, because we wouldn't run a marathon without carb loading, why would we have a massive operation that is every bit the stress that a marathon is coming in dehydrated and starved? So the carb load and the immunonutrition piece the week before and the night before surgery really are places we have a lot of data to prove outcome and can make a difference for our patients. Great stuff. Paul Wishmeyer, Duke Clinical Research Institute. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the DCRI's Perioperative Nutrition Podcast, sponsored by Abbott Nutrition. More episodes are available on SoundCloud and dcri.org.